Hello everyone and I hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. It's Mitch here and I'm going solo again this week. Uh, Nicholas has been a bit busy running about in Vegas or doing something else, but I don't know. Anyway, so what I did was I decided to go out into my backyard with my good friend, Mr. Alan Winchester. Now, for those who haven't met or haven't heard of Alan Winchester before, he's the ex-master distiller for Glenlivet. He's been in the industry for almost 50 years, an incredible wealth of knowledge. So what we did was we jumped into the Cabrick. We talked about the history, the heritage of it, and he showed me some amazing illegal whiskey bothies. We sat down at his house afterwards and we had a good chinwag about everything to do with illegal whiskey making and the Cabrick, which is what his new project is now. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. Yeah. So just to give everyone a little bit of background about yourself, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to to, to do this in a second. But um, you know, you started your career in whiskey in 1975. That's spot on. Yeah. Master distiller at Glenlivet, obviously, which I, I know a lot of people will will know you as. Um, and then you've been in the uh, you know you've been managing. Over 20 distilleries, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Mitch, I yeah. used to count 22. Okay. Yeah, you're getting asked me which ones that are, but yeah, <laughs> 22. Uh, and then Master Keeper of the Quake, Spirit of Spaceside Lifetime Achievement Award. Am I making you blush yet? Is this... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to hear myself speak. <laughs> <laughs> but I know there's there's a load of other awards that, yeah. that you've had over your uh, illustrious career, Alan. So amazing to have you on the show and thank you so much for your time and great day today so to rewind a little bit and explain to everyone listening how we got here today uh alan and i went up to the cabrick and we went on a massive hike which i almost forgot my walking boots for which would have been a disaster <laughs> because when i say hike i don't mean like a little trail we were properly in the depths of the cabrick uh hunting out illicit whiskey stills which i know is one of your hobbies right so let's let's start off with this alan before, before yeah. we get into your career let's talk about the the bothy hunters that you do all the time and, and what yeah. this is all about yeah well the the bothy hunters comes out of uh, probably stephen sillett's book the illicit scotch but also then the re research at the carbrick trust em employed two uh, uh, researchers historians uh Keir, Keir German and Gregor Adamson to do research on the roots of the Cabrich. And everybody had said, oh, there's not much about, there's not much here, but they they exposed the smugglers well, which we've just visited up in the Cabrich. This a site for distilling, and it speaks so much to the landscape and of what the whiskey industry was. That piqued the interest that maybe there is some more roots out there. And it is, uh, Mitch, your recent uh, podcast on the archaeological dig at Drummond Distillery, that crossover from the illicit still to the legal, fascinates me. And that early part of the history fascinates me, as anything in the whisky industry uh, it does, the history. And also unravelling the true stories there. Yeah. Uh, we also went to Smuggler's Well, but we also went to an undisclosed site with the water running, hidden away from there, but 
we used it to top up our dram, to open up the dram. Uh, so there's a lot of that out there. And also folk are interested in that now, so we're seeing it all around the country. And it brings home how big an industry it was. A small industry, because the Bothy wouldn't be distilling much more than a few anchors a mm -hmm. week. But yet it was part of a massive industry in this part of the world. Yeah, no, it was amazing today. I mean, you know, to set the scene uh, for everyone, we're going to we're going to post some of this on our Instagram because we did a couple of videos when we were up there. But we went way into the hills of the Cabrick and, and Alan took me to this amazing site that you believe that goes back to the early, probably early 1800s where they were making whiskey at there, right? Yeah, that that's a good point because it, it never went straight out to these remote bothies. I reckon it went out because illicit distilling was confined into these remote parts of the highlands. Well, we're in the highlands, but we're back on to lowland Aberdeenshire and that perfect map. The whiskey line that was put in in the 1780s made this a this made this a different part from the lowlands, so they smuggled the whisky to there. And it became a large industry uh, that, as the law adapted, uh, changed, it's a bit, it speaks to the American story of the whisky rebellion, but as it changed, it pushed it out from the houses. Mm -hmm. It pushed it up into the more remote bits, as you could see today. But still not far from that long house down at Silverford, not far from houses. The the most notorious smugglers in the Cabrich was the Baines from Powneed. They're only two miles from that spot. So they were obviously collecting it when they were driving their cattle down to uh, maybe the lowlands or just taking a string of ponies down to supply their customers in Aberdeen. So it's unearthing that things and the what's left of it. Yeah, and it, and it was amazing going around the hills with you today. Just the amount of knowledge that you've caught with regards to <laughs> it is, is unbelievable and the sights that you know. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Guys, if you're, you're up in Dufftown at all, uh, give Alan a shout, get him, to take, uh, <laughs> get, get him to take you out in the hills with him. So Alan, let's rewind a little bit. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier on that you were 50 years within the industry. How did this all come about? And did this sort of thirst for knowledge of whiskey history did you have that right at the start, or did that come after you got into whiskey? Uh, it, it's it's a, an accident. Uh, I was waiting to go for my medicals and my applications for the Royal and the Merchant Navy in 1975. Failed the medical, but this the Easter before, when I finished doing my higher education, my mother says, you're not sitting about here, there's there's a job at Glenfartless Guide, so I applied for that. So I went up Glenfartless. Well, I knew of Glenfartless. I knew where it was. It was next door to my grandfather's, great-grandfather's farms. It, it was one of my first memories, was looking up to see that chimney, the red, the red chimney and the pagoda tower, or uh, the cupola tower. And that was an early memory. But the early memory was the smell of the grains, the draught being delivered to the farm to be ensiled for the subsequent winter. And that smell stuck with stuck with you. Yeah, yeah. I was also brought up in the village of Duff Burghead uh, when they were building the big uh, drum maltons there. Yeah. So I was aware of that. I remember the opening, the cars coming to the openings in the 60s. They got VAT 69 in the number plates. What was this all about? You know, you, you, In this area, you just begin to pick it up but the job was an accident so I didn't get a job I enjoyed showing the visitors around 
first book I bought is uh, Michael Brander's original scotch that was for sale at Glenfartless. I bought it on my first wage and that is my interest in the whisky industry in the history of it and that sort of looking into things. So I found that it was an industry I quite liked. At the end of the summer, the, the team gave me a job at Glenfartless and I stayed there for a few more years. And then I moved, moved to a bigger company for a few years. I went back for a while and got my first distillery manager's post was at Glenfartless and then left again and uh, I joined Pernod Ricard mm -hmm. uh, way back. So that's interesting because you must have been one of the first guides at Glenfartless because I think the time you're talking about, that's just when they opened up their visitor centre. It would have been a year after? Or? Yeah, I think Glenfartless opened 73. The visitor centre was built. Uh, in those days, you had an off licence. You had to get a counter. You had to get your tab at the counter and go round the back and claim it an off licence because there was a change in the law to allow the businesses to because when the distilling act was set up, they couldn't sell less than nine gallons at the distillery. So it was the little anchor casks that they sold in those days. Huh. Uh, so that was a change. And then the visitors, Glenn Fiddick was early into visitors, Tor Moore, mm -hmm. uh, one of the redundant railway workers, got a job at uh, Tor Moore showing visitors round. We were speaking about Tor Moore right beside the road, what a fantastic site. Yeah. You stop, have a look at this grandeur. We used to stop, my father used to stop going to my uh, grandfather in Dumfales because he used to hear the, the clock playing the tune every quarter of an hour. I remember no. as one of my managing uh, jobs, we decided to get the clock going and everybody complained about the noise all night every quarter an hour. <laughs> so it, it was a thing. But I, see, I came by the other day and it's a bang on time, so that's great to Brilliant. see. But that's the sort of feeling. So it, it just grew from that. It speaks to what we were doing today. We're out tramping in the hills. I love going up a mountain. I love walking, My uh, going for a cycle, etc. As you can see, lots of braise up the Cabrich, so it's a good place to train. I know, you're a fit man. I was struggling to keep up with you today. <laughs> Bloody hell. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get, you know, I, I want to kind of go back a little bit as well. Tell us about your time at, at Glenlivet, because that must have been interesting. You were distillery manager there for a long time, and then you moved into this ambassadorial role, which is kind of the time that we met. I think it was about 2012 up in Scapa, uh, and then we kept bumping into each other at various whiskey festivals. What did you prefer? Did you prefer your time as a distillery manager or as an ambassador? Uh, both, actually. Yeah. The, the market... The, right, let's play that one back. I was never the distillery manager, but I was the distilling manager in charge of the distillery. Uh, I was a brewer at Glenlivet. I actually bottled water at Glenlivet. I bottled Glenlivet spring water. Again, that was back to protecting the name Glenlivet, yeah. or the Glenlivet, if it's Minmore distillery. So that was fascinating time. So I had two spe spells there. Uh, made dark grains at Glenlivet. I learnt all about that. Learnt about that aspect of it, because I joined the Glenlivet distillers in the Cooperage at Glen Grant as a Cooperage warehouse labourer. Uh, I, I, I'm not a debentured cooper. I only tightened the hoops for the 
the Coopers and worked in the warehouses and then went through Glen Grant, Glen uh, Cappadonic and then came up to Glenlivet where I stayed for a, a, just a few years before leaving again but great time and then reunited with it with Penarica uh, and that was back in 2002, the takeover was 2001, 2002 we were back and as general manager of the distilling operations and then Allied was added to it. Well, the bit that I'm always proud of was part of the team that expanded the Glenlivet. Mm. And you used to say, the, the old guy says, when we expanded it the first time, that's a once-in-a-lifetime career, and we then expanded it again. And that, that was a fantastic project to be involved. And this was along with uh, projects going on in the company, like reopening Glenkeith, where I first went as a trainee brewer, uh, that was my first management post. Reopening that was a very satisfying. One of the guys had asked me years before, will we ever open Glenkeith? I said, nah, there's, there's so much work needed and done. But yet the industry was growing, growing. We'll have to look at Glenkeith. So I was prov proven wrong, but in a lovely way. Uh, and that was great to put back. I think it's easier to ask you what job you haven't done within the whiskey industry than what you've done. Yeah, um, I used to collect titles. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like serious question, what would you say, well, I'm going to start this off in a positive way. What are the good things now about whiskey production? What are the improvements that you've seen over time within your, your, your time within doing that? There, there's a lot of improvement. Uh, being a historian, there's a lot of good things there, and there's a lot of good things that you can build on. What, if you asked me that in a practical sense of things, is and you asked about the brand ambassadors' role, which I didn't answer. It's great that we meet folk. The the festivals opened up the distilleries that weren't open, mm -hmm. so we would be involved in that. That was a chance for the folk coming to the festivals to meet the makers, which I think is a is a great thing. But the education of the industry is fantastic now. Now, that goes from the education. I joined the distillery, was throwing maybe a couple of notes or given the questions and answers book. There you go, that's something to read about. But a knowledge of that. Now, there's Institute of Brewing and Distilling qualifications you go through. There's phenomenal online resources now. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not the secret it was before. Yeah. This black art that we, we carry on in this building with a big sign, and you'll still see them in Speyside. Sorry, no visitors. You know, they're not set up for it. Mm -hmm. But that's opened it up. The visitor centre, the tourism opened it up. That was a good thing for the industry and the area because it provided work mm -hmm. because the distillers became increasingly mechanized automated they've always there's always been this urge to be mechanized automated whether it's a steam age introduction electric computers etc that meant there was less folk but the tourism opened that thing up so that was a big that's always been big changes big changes being the move to single malt how many distilleries were closed in the 1980s by it's a good whiskey for blending. Well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, but now you can find most of these products. Uh, mm. There's whiskies that would always have been considered a blender's malt. Uh, that's that's not to de degenerate them because you make high quality whiskey 
for blending or single malt. But now there's more of a focus in the production that this whisky is destined for single malt. So it's the choice of cask for maturation. So there's lots of changes like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but well, but that, it's just understanding of everything. Yeah, and, and that's the positive side of thing. What would you say, what are, you things, what are the things that you miss about the whisky industry? Like from the, the olden days when you first started, is there anything that you think now it's like, oh, you know, I wish that hadn't changed or that's bullshit? <laughs> uh, I suppose it used to be, uh, at Glen Grant, there used to be four or five of us in a shift. So there was a lot of banter. Yeah, <laughs> there was yeah. a lot of stories. I would pick up, I would I'd be like a sponge to these stories that the old guys would be saying, oh, well, you see, we used to do it that way and we stopped doing it that way. And uh, it was that. Now, I suppose that's why as mentoring folk nowadays is important that we give back because that was our form of mentoring was the, the profile. I was speaking to lads that were speaking about before the Second World War and... Uh, they would be speaking about the distillery before there was electric in it. Uh, mm. How the, the the one that always fascinated me was the story that the stillman used to say. He used to throw the coal into the fire, and the only thing you would hear was the rummager and the wash still, and you would hear the stills singing, the the attenuation of sound as they boiled, and this is where you'd hear the stills singing, and that would tell you that it was at this point. So they knew that things. You can see that yeah. in sort of craft sort of things as well. But this that, that was the style of industry that I joined at Urspeed. Guys that would say to me, I don't know you so well, but I knew your grandfather. And I knew my time had been reached at retirement when I spoke to one of the stillmen. He says, you won't know me, but you'll know my grandfather. <laughs> and I says, it's come quite full circle right. now. So... Uh, that's the sort of thing. But yeah, that's a thought that I look back at fondly. And also, workforce, workforces at Glen Grant, Capadonic, there was 55 of us in that that community working in that distillery at that time, where uh, it, it's fairly automated now. And, and over that time as well, you must have some funny stories from your production days. What's, like, if there's one, is there one highlight? Like, one something that you... Obviously, there's probably stories that we could set up a couple of drams and you'd tell yeah. me and you wouldn't want them recorded, but <laughs> is there anything that we can record that you can put on this? I have mentioned this one, but you know how you're, you're young and you develop an interest in it and you're becoming, you're becoming, yeah, I like to be different. I like to be, you can drive it forward. And I always remember, and it was early on in my career, uh, I was in the Spirit Still at Glen Fartless and the Spirit Still had to be cleaned weekly at that time. Reason being it, and it probably is still the same at Glenfartless, but there may be a spray now. But it was direct fired, so the grease and that would burn onto the side of the still. So every week you climbed into the still, and there were so big stills at Glenfartless that four of you could fit in and clean a quarter of the still each. And I'm I'm young and I'm enthusiastic. I'm going to clean this still, you know, better than anybody, and I'm hosing the top of the still. And it's like what I did to you. I took your arm today and stopped you in the hill. And he stopped me. I says, what? He says, don't hose the top of the still. He says, the copper patina, he says, the copper, the top of the still, if you upset that, you'll change the flavour of the whisky. Oh, here we go again. These old traditional stories and that. 
So as years later, we were looking at a compound and how we would take it out of the spirit. It was the 80s, 90s, a few, a few decades on. And I always remember the chemists from, I think it was SWRI at the time, said, don't touch the patina on the top of the spirit still. It's an important part of the copper cartilitic converter. And I remembered saying, my goodness, Robbie, you were correct. I was so enthusiastic. That sort of knowledge was known, but they didn't understand the science. Right. The science unlocked that empirical knowledge. So you it, dismiss, dismiss anything at your peril. And that was, I thought, well, well, yeah. that's me caught out again. The, the, the old boys knew better, right? <laughs> well, he knew something. Yeah, and it yeah. was, he was, he was from a long line of folk that had worked at that company. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's discuss. You're now retired, but you're not really retired. Like most of the legends that I know within the whiskey industry, you guys all retire and then you go, actually, I'm just going to go on and do this. <laughs> so I think it was, uh, it was last year that it was announced that you were going to be working on this new project where we just were up at the Cabrick. So yeah. let's chat a little bit about this. We, we walked, you, you took me around this distillery that's going to open up shortly and Again, I've, I've taken some pictures so you guys can see them on uh, on Instagram. It's amazing to see it. Yeah. Because what, what are we looking at? A year? No, around about a year when this is going to open? We are, from we're, we're hoping to produce whiskey within this year. Okay, yeah. so by but, the end of 2023. Yeah, we, right. we've set that target, but it may be a moving target. No, we've set a target for ourselves. Hopefully, well, we heard that two weeks' time that uh, the roofs should be going back onto the building because they are off just now. Yeah. The equipment's made. Uh, Forsyth have made the three-pot stills. The wooden washbacks, well, they're made locally. They're ready. They'll be ready to go. The mash tun's made. So we're well on with the, the construction of the, the, the equipment, etc. So mm -hmm. we just have to get going with the building. And this isn't a big distillery that's getting built here. Just to explain to the listeners, you know, if you go up to the Cabrick, it's a very desolate place. Uh, the history of it is, you know, it, we talk about the we chat about the clearances and everything, and that kind of hit the Cabrick in a big way. And I think population. What is the population right now? It's just a handful. Just you know, just yeah. just a few families and a, a number of the farms uh, in Napa Cabrick. Uh, some of the houses have been done up. Uh, Lower Cabrick is in a better situation, a slightly better situation, but the population's been a steady decline, and that decline's been going on for the last 200 years, mm -hmm. exacerbated by the passing the Distilling Act, exacerbated by the First World War. Uh, I think uh, Sam at the, the Cabrick always says that the per capita loss of life in the Cabrick proportionally was so high in the Cabrick. Uh, the war memorial has only been erected in the last few years by the trust and its uh, uh, supporters, because the 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 grave, uh, the memorial in the church is just a brass plaque with the names Gordons, etc. All the names you would expect from that part of the country, but it suffered, and yet it sits eight point five miles from Dufton. This big whiskey centre and yet it was a whiskey centre of fame in the illicit uh, time. It was top billing in Ameri uh, America in Aberdeen which was the other side of the world from the Cabrick with Glenlivet at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, they had legal distilleries, three which failed. We were looking over to Black Midlands, it failed. 
well, it failed. They, they, they went out and concentrated more on the agricultural side, finding it more difficult to do business from the Carberg. Mm -hmm. And that's that was a consequence of that. But it's like an island. Of, Jonathan often, Jonathan, who's the CEO there, describes it as an island. It sits in the corner of Speyside and region. And it's an area that uh, times seems to have passed by. Mm. The houses are empty. There's lots of ruins. We, we're st st in a desolate landscape where it wasn't. So the idea of the trust and the ownership of the distillery belongs to the trust is for profit for the community and it'll pour money back into that. So it's so nice to take, it's always nice to be involved in a new distillery, but taking something back to life that probably creates, I think, the growth of the craft movement throughout the world. Why not the Calbrich? Why not take a few bits of life there? Great to see the barley growing in the field in front of the uh, front of the the house today. Yeah. Typical, the farmer as usual saying, well, I've, there's a bit patchy and a bit, but it looks pretty good to me. So that's a good sign. Yeah, and, and we are talking proper craft here with, with, with this distillery. I mean, um, you know, you're, it'd be great for you to, if you can tell some of the stats of, of, of the distillery, we're chatting about just 100,000 litres that's going to come out. But I think the thing that was interesting for me was this buck still that you were talking about. Ah, right. Yeah, the buck. Well, we're going to make Cabrick whiskey yeah. in the wash still and the spirit still. Two stills. Yeah, pretty straightforward. But we have the third still, the buck still. So the Black Midden's Farm, which is not a nice name and uh, translated in English, it's not a nice name. So they called it the buck after the prominent, the feature. We think that the archaeological research that's been done in the back is that they were allowed to distill with one pot still. So there was, there was a, what would you say, there were a, an allowance under the 1823 Act where you needed two stills, they made it with one still. And we're, we're trying to recreate that with its direct fire, with its worm tabs. Now the mash tun for the distillery is only half a ton per batch. It will fill a wash back, so that will give us two and a half thousand litres of wash. Two and a half thousand litres can go to the Cabrick still, so it's a big still, mm. but the buck still will be half the size again. So we're, we're nearly pushing it right back to what they had, in a sense, and using local cereal, but we know that they were so successful in the Cabrick, they had to import grain, but we are we reckon that Laureate will grow well in the Cabric and we'll make it, we'll take grain from the local area to convert it in, like what the old distillers would have done. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to, to seeing this this opening up and uh, uh, I think it's going to be a, a fantastic project. It's great to see this whole community aspect of it and everything going back in it. Um, so... As I always do, Alan, I want to do some quick fire round questions. You ready for these? Yes. This yeah. is the bit that everyone gets uh, a little bit nervous about sometimes. <laughs> All right, so uh, best Glenlivet that you were involved in making? Oof. Uh, or shoot. talking about, or yeah. I think there's one obvious one that I can think of <laughs> that you might say. Might have had your name on it. <laughs> well, that, that, was, uh, that was a project It was done in... Uh, my name was considered very English, Winchester, it's old capital of uh, England. It's because we came up here to uh, 
uh, dealout a bit of Christianity to the Scots up here. So I've claimed that I've been in spirits for hundreds of years. Like what you did there. Like what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the, the joke. Your name's too, too English, but things had changed. And uh, I was working with the team. How we get to promote the 50-year-old or speak about it, what we're going to do with it. Uh, and I didn't know at the time until it was released that they actually put my name. So that was a great honour. It's gosh, go. That was that was quite an honour with that. And so that was a fifty-year-old as well, right? That was a fifty-year-old. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's some fantastic Glenn Levitts. In fact, uh, and the one of the ones that gave us a lot of fun was the one I did uh, speaking about as a brand ambassador as well as a master distiller, I should say. But you do the brand uh, promotion work. Was the was the the first uh, uh, the 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 one that we did with the cognac cask, mm. and that was fascinating. We took that out when it was a hundred years since uh, uh, the captain took over the distillery, and it was round about that time. And I thought, oh, that like, I love that historic connection to that. But it was an introduction again back because we took the cognac cask. My predecessor Jim. Uh, Kreil was involved in the French Oak finish for the 15 and he was involved in that but he thought that the, con the, the brandy casks, the French Oak, would work really well with the whiskey mm -hmm. and everybody had said, oh you better watch what you're doing, you know, but Jim had went to uh, France to Martel at the time and he saw that they put the new cognac in the new cask only for a year and then they took it out and they put it in another cask and that was an introduction take a big infusion from the cask so he thought he would do it in reverse so he did it as a finish I don't know what we call it now because it's a reserve or something but a portion of the glum of it was put into these casks mm. and then when it was deemed to have picked up the character it was then blended back into the uh, Blended married back into the the Glenlivet to produce the, the the French cask finish. So we did it with the cognac cask, or the team did it with the cognac cask, and it was great to be part of that. So this is a, this is a serious one here, Alan. If you could rewind fifty years and become the successful distillery manager that you've already become, but it had to be with another whiskey distillery <laughs> outside of any that you've worked, which one would it be? Well, it's quite easy though. I think it would be Glenvore and uh, Inverness. Oh, yeah? Simply because my uh, great-granny was a, a half-brother of John Burney It started it. John Burney did his time at Benrenis with his brother, William. Uh, he went to Glenalbin. Um... He was thwarted in getting his directorship, so he crossed the road with McKinley's money and I think Johnny Walker's money maybe at some point and built McKinley's and Burnley Glenvore Distillery. It was still in operation. We used to go through the... I used to go through uh, Inverness, going to the hills on the west coast. And you would, at that time, the three distilleries were Malton and also Baird's was Malton, which is still there. Melbourne was Malton, Glen Alban, Glenmore, and you would get these distillery smells as you drove through because there was no Keswick Bridge, uh, and that was a thing. And I would have loved to work there and been manager or something. It was yeah. connected. There you go. 
they probably didn't know about the connection, but uh, uh, that would be a thing like that. Yeah. Um, proudest moment of your career? Well, Mitch, we were together the night when I got the lifetime achievement. You say, well, I, I must be at the end of the road now. I've got the lifetime achievement. <laughs> I think anything that marks that speaks again. But again, that speaks to not to me, but to the folk I've worked with to mm. support that through the years. There's been some fantastic folk I've worked with that uh, uh, shared their stories with me. Some of them funnier stories than I can tell, uh, but they could tell lots of stories. So I think it's just the culmination of that. It's quite, I'm always proud of these things. Yeah, yeah, as you should be. It's amazing. Best story from your ambassador days with Glenn Lippitt? All <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Now, now that you've left, you can you can spill the beans on all this. You know, there's, there's no there's no PR uh, well, even down your neck or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure. Uh, I think I was over the last the last time I travelled the, uh, the 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 company I did Japan and New Zealand and that and uh, the the brand ambassador. He's now the guy that's in the visitor centre at Blair Thomas. I thought, poor Thomas, he's working with me. He's, it must be care in the community. Because on his day off, he had to, I said, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going down to visit uh, Fujikitembe tomorrow. Right, right, how do I know to go to the, the, tra the train? Well, he says, you go to the train station and you catch the train. All oh, right, right, okay, I'll, I've, got, I've got that. But how do I know when I get there? He says, look at your watch and if it's, it'll be 9.16, you just jump off the train. Poor Thomas had to come out and make sure I got on the train. It was like care in the community. So <laughs> I felt like, of course, these young brand ambassadors, not only have they to go and uh, they have to go and then they have me coming along, making life so much harder for them. But I was ama amazed with the fun that they had and he would take me and I was eating things that I would have never eaten. But travel broadens the mind and it was a good thing. But... Yeah. Uh, there was, there was funny, it was a funny, and Logan tells it, I, I just did it as a joke, but I was, it was probably quite uh, nasty, and I said, they, they were setting up the hotel for the 50-year-old, and uh, uh, Robson, and I turned to the young lass, and you come to a point in your career, folk take everything literal, and I says, oh, it's a shame we've spilt the whiskey the wrong way. Oh my goodness! It was, it was, it was like, like a pheasant being run over. There was feathers everywhere. I says, "I'm joking, I'm joking." <laughs> Ian says, "You're terrible." But I said it in my my uh, droll face. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the funny thing about when you go abroad and you're Scottish, you say say stuff like that, and people just take it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Chill out. It's okay. Um, well, Alan, it's been amazing having you on the show. I'm glad we made this happen because we have been talking to. Well, I, I mentioned this about a year ago yeah. to get you on, and you were like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then, interestingly enough, this is how this comes about. Last week, Alan uh, happened to listen to a couple of episodes on the show, and that's how I've got him on now. So <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long time in the making, Alan. Uh, yeah. Fascinating to hear your stories. And guys, check out the Cabra Trust as well. They're on Instagram. 
Uh, there is a website as well that people can go and yeah, see. Is that right? Yeah, developing the, the website as well. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously when the distillery opens up next year, looking at 2014, there's going to be a visitor center there. Yeah. Um, is there going to be like a cafe? Did I read that? Or is that not part of the plans? I think, be... I, th I think that might ultimately be part of the master plan in right. a few years. But yeah. we'll establish the whiskey, establish the visitor's connections with it. And yes, that would be but the yeah. idea. Definitely. Yeah, if you make it the Carbrick, you deserve a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely another great thing to, to come and visit up at, up at Speyside for sure when that opens up. But Alan, absolute pleasure to have Thanks. you on the show. That and was good. Thank you for good the hike today as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>